infectious enthusiasm, the show where we talk excitedly about the nuances of Pathfinder 2E. I'm Quinn. I'm Brian. And today we we've been we've been talking a lot about the more martial side of Pathfinder, but today we want to talk about the exploration side of Pathfinder, specifically exploration mode and modal modal play in general in Pathfinder is really good, but we want to we want to talk about exploration this this time and then we can talk about the other modes later. So when we talk about modes, exploration, encounter, and downtime in Pathfinder, these are three modes of play that just sort of tell you the thrust of the game is happening. So it gives you a, a real clear key on what the context of the game is. And then the mechanics also aid in sort of like the, the skills will have different actions that you can use in the exploration phase. There are different abilities and feats to be used for exploration phase or encounter phase or downtime. So it, it breaks game into the distinct parts. Encounter phase is when we're, there's imminent danger and seconds count. And we're talking about like rounds and really thinly slicing time to sort of count each, you know, quick turn and, you know, razor thin slice of time. Uh, in exploration, the GM sort of deter- determines the flow of time. And that can be, you know, it can be we're happening, uh, we're, we're traveling over the course of a day, we're walking in the dungeon over minutes or hours. And then in downtime, there is, you know, we, we sort of expand the time range possibly even further to days or weeks, and it covers. Uh, I like to think of downtime mode as montage mode, right? Uh, uh-huh. This is where we yeah. sort of, you know, sort of scrabble the scene and we show the players, uh, you know, bits and pieces of the players doing these activities, talking with people, doing research, you know, entertaining themselves or each other, you know, working side jobs, things like that. And and I feel like that distinction is really great for a lot of different reasons. And And I'm hoping right now we can talk about the exploration mode specifically and show what's cool about that. Brian, what, what do you like about exploration mode? My favorite thing about exploration mode, first off, is that that it's a specific mode, by which I mean, um, okay, I've been playing and running D&D for a long time. And the thing that, for me, was always kind of a a balancing act when, especially when running D&D, was dealing with the player's uh, caution. Because... (laughs) If you're just doing a regular dungeon crawl, you should be cautious. That's how that works. There might be traps. There might be, you know, you might miss a a secret door, stuff like that. And the thing I like about the way that they do exploration mode is it doesn't fully abstract it. You're still using the uh, skills that you've put experience points into, and you're still able to use your character's strengths or, in some cases, be affected by your character's weaknesses, but you're not having to tell the game master every single thing you're doing. In exploration mode, you just have to say, I am being I'm specifically looking for secret doors or I'm, you know, or I'm or I'm investigating something. Like if you are trying to 
figure out something about a dungeon that you're in, even if you're not looking for secret doors or traps or anything like that. Let's say you're looking for a specific thing within the dungeon. That's part of exploration mode. And you can declare that that's what you're doing. And then your skills help you with that. And then that also tells the game master what you're doing in broad strokes, as opposed to, you know, I move 10 feet, I check for traps. Specifically, specifically, you're the the mode you're talking about is the search exploration activity. So it's actually a defined activity. So you go, so like when you go, when, when the party's in the dungeon, right? And I just, you know, I just ran a party through Abomination Vaults, which is like a huge, like, <laughs> yes, like is, I say, yeah. nine level dungeons. <laughs> and and, I, and it, it's weird. I, I had never actually considered running like a big mega dungeon like this. In a and not until Pathfinder was I like gonna be okay with it because I'd, I'd, right. I'd run dungeons in Pathfinder and and I I knew that these modes like actually worked really well so so like what happens when they're going through the dungeon I basically go okay so what is your at any given take like what is your action here and one person says hey I'm going to um, scout and because they're scouting. Everybody gets a plus one bonus to their initiative role because you're looking out trying to keep ahead. Nice. Right. Or and then one person goes, I'm searching for traps. And so or I'm search, I'm searching, period, which means yeah. you're automatically when you when you say you're searching, you have to move slower. But you said you're automatically searching for hidden doors, hazards, whatever. And the GM just makes a whenever it would be applicable, they just make a secret role. For, with your with your perception and, and you know what i would do is i would just take down their relevant stat so you're searching cool and i just have a card uh, like a little dry erase card with everybody's action and then i just keep it with me there so i know when it's applicable the person who's searching gets to make a thing make a roll and if there are a couple people searching we make two rolls right but we know that they're moving right. slower right and and then if somebody wants to there there's even uh, a thing uh, like a defense action Right. So you you travel a bit slower, but you automatically have your shield raised. Right. So you're right. So you're automatically in defensive posture and you get that bonus if something jumps out and surprises you. You can choose to if you have the detect magic spell, you can make that your exploration activity. And so you're always casting for magic. You don't have to go, OK, I keep casting detect magic like it's actually a skill. So you just pick these things from the menu. And now everybody has taken a stance. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing I like is even though your characters are moving more slowly, it doesn't mean that the game is going to take longer because of it. Because if you're using a map, you just go, all right, you're doing those things. And then you like you can move the minis up to the point that they do find something. You're like half an hour later, you're at this point. you know, oh no, skeleton. And, uh, or, you know, you find a trap, what do you do? That kind of thing. And I love that because it, it doesn't abstract it to the point that it, that it feel that your you know, that your character sheet doesn't feel useful. Um, but it abstracts it to the point where, in my opinion, it's just, it makes it more fun. And they, they have found a way to kind of best of both worlds, I guess. So that way you're not you're not stuck doing what I said before, which, you know, I think anybody that, you know, has played 
you know, like not just D&D, but like all kinds of games mm-hmm. has been stuck in that. I mean, I know, I, I've done that in cyberpunk games. Yeah, I, because... I, call, I call it the preparedness Olympics. Oh, yes. That's it. <laughs> good, good phrase. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, and everybody's trying to win a gold medal in the preparedness Olympics. Right. Because, because the, the, the problem about the preparedness Olympics is that if you lose the Olympics, it's like your character's dead. Right. That's so no, exactly it. <laughs> right. Right. It's either you meddle or die. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's you, binary. <laughs> right. You can't, you can't really blame people for doing the preparedness Olympics, but then it, it like, like you're saying, it, it really bogs the game down and there is just, uh, you know, really, you know, sort of defensive style of play where I find in Pathfinder, you don't have to, you can, by setting these modes, Everybody knows that their character is prepared as best yeah. as, as best as they can be, right? And they're, you're not going to be b- better prepared, right? Uh, right. Than just setting your mode and going. Right. I mean, it, your your character is assumed to be competent, right? And your character is assumed to be doing doing it right. Mm-hmm. If you say, "I'm searching," then that covers that covers anything that might be a gotcha. And right. that's another thing I like about this is that this mode discourages adversarial game mastering. Yes. Because I mean, I don't do that anyway. And but I like it that somebody that might have that inclination if they're playing it by the book and really reading what the exploration section has to say it might shake them out of that mode over. It's it's just a good way to sort of communicate across the table. It it gives you trying to think it gives you like a good, it's like a contract. Uh, I I guess Ah, it's It's, it's like a contract from the table. Like, Hey, uh, here, like, I don't need to do gotchas. You can set your stuff. And then, you know, Hey, if if I, if I want to build something that is tough for you to spot mechanically, I can just, make a thing with a high number and right. like you will, you know, there's a good chance you will fail the secret role and not notice it or get caught in it. And, you know, or, 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 or what have you. And that, that you can also extend this to overland travel. Um, oh yeah. You know, and that, and that, uh, and then the interesting thing too, is that you can, if you want to do like what they would call, what you call exploration, Mode, oh yeah, which they actually have special rules for, and then what they what differentiates that is they basically just add a new vocabulary of actions, yeah, to it. So it's also like extensible. But yeah, and I like that too. I like it that that they realized that needed to be its own thing because I had been even up till fairly recently treating exploration and encounters as effectively the same thing. Yeah. And I like it that some, like, you know, a game like this came along and shook me out of that mindset. I'm like, oh, no, they aren't, they, well, they don't need to be the same thing. And I prefer it when they're not. It just, because the thing is, you know, you're using a skill, right? In a, you're using a skill against a trap. And that's, that's kind of like a combat. And by the same token, if something is hiding from you, by the same logic, it's, it's still a conflict. So it's easy to treat everything like an encounter, but 
The problem with that is if you treat everything like an encounter, suddenly everything becomes tactical and everything becomes turns and rounds. And uh, once I got a, like, once I read more and got an idea of how, of this philosophy, I was like, nope, encounters are for combat. Mm-hmm. And everything else is is everything else. And, um, like, the downtime thing, of course, was sort of always its own thing. but what Pathfinder 2 refers to as exploration was always in this weird middle ground. Right. And I'm really glad to have it more defined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's like, there's this zoom in dial. All right. And when you are, when you zooming in and sort of turning the dial towards danger, you want things to be granular because you want to be in that mode of respond, react, right? You want to turn it down in like each second. You know, when someone's throwing a punch, fractions of a second count, right? right. So you want to, you don't need to get to the fractions of a second thing, but you want to be in that second turn because you want to figure out, you know, okay, in this small space of time, how am I responding? How am I reacting? Going back and forth. But then as we pull out from danger, as we zoom out and we turn the dial towards just uh, movement and other things, we want to enter that exploration mode. And then when we dial out just a little bit more into just general, we're doing sort of wider, broad-based activities where we really don't need, we don't want to play, we don't need to play out every single street you walk down when you're inve- you know when you're asking exactly. around about the thing right where we're getting much looser with time then we end up sort of in that downtime mode right and and that's how i that's how i i view those things it's it's these are discrete modes but in the flow of an actual game it will sort of be a dial like like the the dial will be an analog expression through them but that you'll see these markers Right. And you'll be able to feel the markers where you're like, okay, we should right. be, we should be out of encounter mode. Right. Like, you know, someone runs away. Right. Yeah. We don't need to be in counter mode. We can go into exploration mode or, you know, or we can use like the chase mechanics. Absolutely. And abstract time a little bit more. Well, and honestly, you know, it's exactly the same level of abstraction that happens in a novel or an action movie. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, an action scene is going to take up a whole bunch of the movie. Whereas someone walking down the street and doing something that would be exploration, for example, you know, you catch up with the person when he when he breaks into the the secret facility and finds the safe. You don't go down every hallway and every door here. Uh, and by the same token, like you mentioned, downtime is as you know montage mode, and that's exactly what action movies do. Right. So you know, if you if you are the kind of game master or player that looks at your tabletop role-playing game like a movie, it's it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, yeah, these modes really map well to different kind of scenes in an action-based, like you're, you're saying, and, 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 and it's a good way to sort of frame how you're running the scenes and like where you should go. And then, and then like I was sort of alluding to before, when you switch those modes, then... Uh, how you use skills and the actions that are tied to those skills change with the mode, right? And there are different like activities. I think Absolutely. it's a clever thing that they do that, that you get a lot of different and, and most of the, most of the activities, like, like you can run games and I have where you don't explicitly mention what the activities are. There are a lot of them, but you can just let people decide what they do. 
And then you're like, oh, okay, well, actually, so when you do this, right, like you, you say you're going to look for odd jobs uh, with your performance skill. There's actually a downtime activity for that called earn income, which is my, right. when we talk about downtime, it is my earn income is my favorite downtime activity. One of my favorite activities that they go in the game. And I will get into that on the next episode, but you know, like you can, you know, step into that or you're like, Hey, I want to, you know, again, I'm going to look for traps. Well, that's in exploration mode. That's the search skill, right? You, you can, you can worry about intent and map to activities really easily it's not you have to like memorize everything and you can only do Absolutely. these things i feel like we've done a good job of exploring <laughs> uh <laughs> sorry sorry i i hadn't met my dad joke quota for the day and and you know i That's I, good. I, I'm, uh, I lose my license if i don't make one a day uh you know you gotta you gotta keep those continuing education credits going exactly exactly so, yeah. but what are some what are some other examples of games that use modal gameplay first one that comes to mind is ryotama yeah and ryotama is you want me to talk about it a little bit yeah yeah go, go for it okay so ryotama we're okay we're talking about exploration mode and when we decided on this topic this was the first game that came to mind and the reason it came to mind is because this game is basically exploration mode it is. It focuses heavily on it. It's a. It's a Japanese RPG that's been translated into English. It's heavily inspired by Studio Ghibli films. Mm -hmm. And so, if you've ever seen one of those, you kind of know what those focus on. Those do focus on journeys. They tend to focus on the journey more than the destination, like the proverb says. And that's kind of the vibe of the game too. And you know, there is danger. There is magic. But the combat and magic systems are mechanically really light because what it focuses on is travel and exploration. And that's where the details and the and, you know, some seriously crunchy mechanics are. And it's just like Pathfinder. Most of the mechanics are about encounters, because, again, that's what this focuses on. Butama barely has a combat system because it doesn't really need one. And the magic system is also there. It's a good one, but it's not a magic system like you would find in in Pathfinder. You know, it doesn't have like a list of spells, really. It's there to really more provide color and to add to the wonder of the world more than it is to give you a chance to fire a lightning bolt at something. And yeah, and it's interesting because like a lot of the stuff that would be if you're like comparing this to sort of a normal, sort of a uh, more standard action fantasy RPG, a lot of the stuff uh, that is more in depth in those games is they're almost sort of like vestigial limbs in this game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But but they are these distinct when you're in a combat is a distinct kind of phase of play um, or when you're in town, when you're in a town shopping around, you're in like a kind of loose, you know, form of play and then when like you're saying the when you're in on a when you're traveling you're making these journey checks and that's like really like the crux of the play and so it's this mode where you're you know checking sort of how you're feeling and like what stuff you see on the road that day and yeah where, where you lose and it's that's it's it's an interesting mode because it's quite kind of simple the process of making it there's just a, like a sheet and you just sort of roll down the process but it 
in play, it allows for so much like role playing. And it, 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 when, when you play here and you role play out the scenes and, and they and they make sure to state that it's not just about making these die checks. It's about role playing and sort of and imagining what is happening and describing the representation of these checks that you're making. Yeah. And when you do that, you get this really over the next kind of days uh, or so of your trips, these journey checks become a live travel log. Right. And it's really cool, pretty powerful stuff. As I agree. And, and what you end up with, like you just said, you end up with an artifact of a, of a journey. And I love that part. Because as a designer, you tell the person that is reading your game what it's about by how much, like honestly, how many pages you devote to whatever whatever your section is. And if a whole bunch of your pages are about combat, your game is about combat. And which is most games. And um but you know, Ryotama, not really. <laughs> Ryotama, so many pages about the traveling. And also about there's a lot of good stuff in there about world building, which also just supports the travel in this case. So yeah, I think that is just one of my favorite things about it is that they they realized what their game was about and then they create created a system that supported what they wanted it to do. And 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 yeah, and it's 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 really fun and it's really interesting to see how they sort of separated this out and made it a a specific activity and then be, like sort of this is the prime mode of the game and uh everything else is in service of it and it's just really it's pretty interesting. And what, what's the other one we should talk about here? I th- okay, we've already teased what their next episode's about. And by the same token, I think we're going to talk about this game more in the next episode. But I do want to bring up Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Because Blades in the Dark has a hell of a downtime mode. Mm-hmm. But it also is one of the first games I saw that was ex- that was really explicit about what you do during different phases of the game. So Blades has Blades in the Dark is a it's a fantasy game where you're playing criminals and you're going on heists usually or some kind of criminal job. So it's got the job mode and that is what it focuses on. So that's where most of the mechanics are. But it's also got mode called planning and engagement and then it's got a downtime mode. And the one I want to talk about here is planning and engagement. And I don't know that we're going to talk about it too long because the planning and engagement phase isn't that long. <laughs> the reason it's not that long is because Okay, we've all played cyberpunk, right? Or at least, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I know you and I have played a lot yes. of cyberpunk. <laughs> yes. And one of the things that always happens in cyberpunk is you spend so long planning out the job that you're about to go on. So long. Uh, yeah, so long. And one of the things that Blades in the Dark does is it abstracts that. They're just like, you guys are competent criminals. You've, you, you've already made some plans. So they basically, you, you come up with a specific approach to what you're doing. Which it might involve violence, it might involve deception, it could involve magic, whatever it is, whatever you feel is best for this job. And so you you come up with what your approach is, and then that approach comes with a detail. So you mention you come up with, for example, if you're assault, if you're going to do an assault, it's just the plan is to to uh, approach this job with violence. You come up with the point of attack. You come up with literally what place or person uh, you are going to attack first 
to get into or or achieve your goal. And then uh, you make a roll and you find out how well you did at it. And that's it. And it doesn't mean you planned poorly. If you roll poorly, all that means is something happened you didn't account for. And it basically just uh, determines like how good your starting point is, but it doesn't have anything to do with how the rest of the job goes, which I also like. And I mean, that's what I wanted to say about that is like, I like the fact that that's a specific phase, but you don't have to spend hours coming up with your details because of other mechanics in the game. You can flash back to having prepared for it, which is helps solve your preparedness Olympics problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I, I always thought it was really clever how they sort of short circuit the kind of there. There's a weird thing is where the planning can feel like playing without maybe necessarily being playing, right? Yeah, and, and is is this weird pit you can fall into? Yeah, um, I've done it. Many yeah, times. <laughs> I, as as have I, and and this is a really great way to, but by giving you any system that a make, I, I think we can almost yeah we we can make this a formula right. So a way to sh- a way to end preparedness Olympics is to a make a mode where you would do planning a discrete. Mode, say, hey, you are in this phase, right? Mm-hmm. You are you are in exploration phase, you are in planning phase, etc. And then give you specific tools and signals that you can use that let you cover a range of activities. Yeah. And so you can say, hey, I'm doing this, and this covers this range of activities that you would do. So you don't actually, as a player, have to map out in detail all of the stuff that you do right exactly because you just picked the the verb that fits that style right and right. then and then that that gives then it, it acts as this contract and then it serve it gives you this language to then express things and then you can get back to the action part of it knowing what things you've covered and maybe have it covered and this actually solves one of the problems that I often have with role-playing games. And Pathfinder 2's uh, exploration mode also does this, is that I don't want to rely on my ability to solve a puzzle. I want my character to be good at solving the puzzle. And I also I don't want to rely on my ability to plan well. I want to play a character that plans well. And I want that to be the case. And exploration mode, in my opinion, over in Pathfinder 2 does the same thing. And like you could still play it that way. You could still present a puzzle to players that that the players have to solve. And if, the, if those players are into it, fine. But that's not how I like to play. So I like the fact that this is still sort of a step removed from that, meaning that uh, just like planning mode in Blades and just like exploration mode over in Pathfinder 2... My character can be good at a thing that I'm not good at. I, I'm i not as strong as my fighter. Why Why would I have to be as clever as my rogue? Right. Or have as, mu- or have as much like foresight or planning as my investigator. Exactly. You know, uh, yeah. Like I can play somebody sort of super, you know, keen, sighted and organized um, in a way that I might not be. Which is sort of when, when you don't give people a verb in language, you're basically saying... 
it's like bring your own um, sort of set of of perception and organization skill and that. It can it, it can be a little trying and, and, and fatiguing, I think. Right, exactly. And so, like I said, I'm 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 sure we're oh, just you know, FYI, listeners, we are going to be talking about Blades of the Dark next episode too. So yes, yes. We we will have even more to say. Oh, that does remind me though. One thing I really do like about and you mentioned this before, but talking about Blades of the Dark reminds me of this too. Is each phase has a list of actions that you can take. And just like you mentioned, you know, in Pathfinder, you're doing the search action. Um, and I like that. I like having a concrete list of things I can do depending on what phase of the game I'm in. That's really handy for me as a as a player and as a game master. Because it's just it it's an easy thing to refer to. And personally, I just I feel a little bit more like I'm on solid ground. Mm-hmm. If I've got, you know, these are the seven things you can do. That's great. Mm-hmm. Right, and that you can use them in in two ways. I, I, I was hinting about it a little bit, bit earlier, but just to reiterate, you can you can do them sort of a fiction forward, intention first way of hey, you tell me what you want to do as a player, and then we're going to map it, yeah, to where it fits. Or if it doesn't quite map, we'll combine to well, like well, we we can we can we it it makes things easy for me as a game master because I can take what you do and that I know that there are seven possible things that I can sort of that will fit that it can map to and so I don't have to make up a bunch of rules on the spot. And then oh or or I can or you can just pick from the list and then we can mm. develop the fiction from the action that you take. I, I like it that it works in both directions. And depending on on the needs of the scene and you know the play style of the players and game masters, you know, that might change from action to action. But I like it that that flexibility is there. Right. Yeah, that, that, that is really a good bonus for, you know, because people feel people feel comfortable one way or the other. Or sometimes it's just better to move in one direction than the other. Yeah. So, so I, I like that option in my games. Well, it's like if you're playing certain Powered by the Apocalypse games by the book, you're supposed to, as the player, state what you're doing but never mention the move. And then let the game master interpret what the move is. I have found trying to stick to that uh, specific rule mm. difficult, and so I don't do it because it just you end up it ends up uh, making things uh, too complicated, in my opinion. But um, I understand the reason behind it because as the player, you literally just want to tell the game master what you're doing, and and it is the game master's job to say, "Oh, well, you're searching." Now, you know, now you're doing the search action. But I also like it that, you know, it doesn't, for me anyway, it doesn't knock me out of the game for me as a player to tell you, the game master, I'm searching. <laughs> I'm going to use the search action here, mm-hmm. Quinn. And then, right. and then you're like, oh, not a problem. And then we know what we're talking about. Right. And, well, and, then, and so, like, yes. And, and what I find when I'm running games is actually, like, so there's kind of... Two general type of players, right? Like in a very, very loose label, loose level, there are people who feel more emboldened by sort of the openness of a th- of the mm-hmm. format, right? And they just want to just like, hey, let me just make it up, right? And then you tell me where it fits. And then there, yeah. that there are people who feel 
overwhelmed by the openness of the format. Right. And they're just like, oh, you know, you're like, hey, just tell me what you want to do. They're like, like, can you narrow right. you can you narrow it down, please? And you're like, sure. Here's a menu of like five like jumping points off where where you can do. And then they're like, ah, okay. Now I now I can take action. Right. Exactly. And and so I I I I don't ever like uh, one of the things that this is a meta thing that I like about Pathfinder is that Pathfinder won't break if you just sort of start with the open theme and then sort of give intention and then sort of find the rules for it works fine that way. Also, it has enough grounding and concrete like themes to pick from that you can, that it also works is like, Hey, pick an action from the list and then, and then we'll, we'll define, you know, I, I, I play, I do that pretty much in, in almost every game that I'm running of Pathfinder and I'm running quite a few. I have a mix of people in that range. I have, I have at least a sure. couple of players who just want to come up with something crazy and then we'll make up the rules uh, for it and, and fit it. And then people who are just like, Hey, I was looking at the rules and I want to do this rule here and, and it, it will work both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you feel comfortable enough with the rules as designed that you can, you can work either way. Right. And I love that. That's great. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I feel like we've, we've, is there anything else you want to say about this or have we covered exploration mode pretty of. well? Yeah, I feel like we did. I feel like we have explored it pretty well. <laughs> nice and uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just it, it was my turn. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. but honestly, yeah, I think we have. I mostly I just I like the fact that I, I know I've said it before and I'm just going to reiterate it. I like I like it that they have broken it into specific phases because it does help. Uh it helps move things along and it also it it gives the game a structure that before I started playing games that did this sort of thing, I didn't realize that structure was even needed. And it's really nice that it's there. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And yeah, uh, I guess we'll we'll stop it right there. I, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about the mode and downtime. Downtime makes me happy. And and we'll we'll get into why next episode. Absolutely. And I guess we'll see y'all soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.